You're listening to The Jack Skilly Show, brought to you by Hammer Media. On Season 1, we're looking at youth development. You can learn more at hmmrmedia.com. Here's your host, professional hockey player, Jack Skilly. Hey everybody, welcome to Episode 3. Last week we discussed, uh, we had a good conversation with Jonathan Taves about his career, his youth development experience. This week we have NHL skills coach on the show with us and uh, his name's Angelo Ricci. He's a skills coach for the Philadelphia Flyers. He was a skills coach, skills and development coach for the Buffalo Sabres for 10 years. I personally ran into Angelo for the first time in Park City, Utah um, at a development camp and great person, great, great hockey mind. And ever since we've been, we've been connected and, and uh, he's helped me in some off seasons as, as well as, uh, as my career kind of came, you know, went down the line. So um, I'm really excited. Martin and I are really excited to have Angelo on the show. This just should be his, his hockey experience, his coaching experience and his youth hockey development experience as well. Having uh, being the owner of uh, the triple a uh, Thunderbirds program in Denver. So Angelo, Uh, Thank you for joining us. Um, We're excited to have you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm glad I could help you guys out. Um, Anytime, especially now, we can talk hockey. It helps get your mind off everything going on. So I'm excited to to be on with you guys. And, um, you know, the the process is so fun when you talk about development because it's it's people people always – you see all these fancy different things now. All that stuff's great, but I I still think the bottom line with with any development is you have to have a base and a platform and – and from there, you can and fine fine tune everywhere you're going. But but I'm excited, guys, and feel free to to shoot any questions my way, and uh, I'll see if I can stop them, score them, or put them in the net, whatever you guys need. So let me know. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So, um, Angelo, you know, I think first off, like, why don't, why don't you kind of uh, just explain to us, um, you know, your your playing career? I know you played, and and um, you know where you grew up what your youth hockey development or experience was like. I know it's probably a lot different than what uh, it looks like today um, across the United States, but um, can you give us a little bit about your hockey background? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Chicago and uh, um, I was fortunate enough to play for team Illinois. In those days, there was only two AAA organizations in Illinois. It was the Chicago Americans and team Illinois. I came Illinois uh, through peewee year. And then a lot of us, got recruited over to the Chicago Americans and played my Bantam and midget year there. We were very fortunate. We won three national titles in four years at the Pee Wee major Bantam major midget major level or midget levels. And then when I was a senior, it's so different in these days, kids leave a little earlier, but I, you don't really even leave junior hockey in those days to you're almost a senior in high school or out of high school. So I went to Omaha in the USHL uh, from there and um, played in the USHL. Actually, Signed Jack. I was at Wisconsin for three months before I transferred to Denver in, uh, in yeah, 1990. Were you telling so, me that? Yeah. 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 So I was, and then I played just a couple of years, you know, minor pro and in Italy in Val Gardena was the elite league in those days. Um, and then I've actually been doing development training since about 1996. Um, that's when I started my company. And so I actually learned from Riel Turcotte, who was like, he was way ahead of the times in those days and, and with the Chicago Americans, he was their skills coach, which a lot of programs didn't have in 19, like 89 and 88 in, in, in those years. And so Riel was all stick handling and, and skill work with shooting, scoring. And, and he was like, we would do skill sessions every Wednesday night. We practice Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, or play games. And he was our skills coach on Wednesdays. And so it was, uh, that's where I first got introduced to that type of stuff. And it just, it transpired over the years and, and that was my playing career, pretty much. I was very fortunate in Omaha. We won a championship, then went on to the University of Denver. Had a fun career there. Um, never made, never won anything, but you know, got an education and and made some great friendships that last a lifetime. And I'm still in Denver because it's a great place to live. You you did play a little bit of pro though, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, just a couple of years in the minors. I said in Italy, my last year in Belgrade. Um, yeah. that was the same uh, league when the lockout happened, Yager was in and I had like, um, Gary Lehman was on my team, Frank Caprice, who played for the Canucks wow. with our goals. So there were some good players. And, um, a lot of those guys, you know, in those days would go at the end of their career over there, which was a great experience. But Lehman was kind of interesting because he came back from Italy and ended up playing for the wild again, which was really weird because everyone oh, thought wow. his career was, his career was over. So in like 1996, I think it was seven, 
and he went back yeah. and played for the, for the wild. Yeah. That's crazy because even today, like it's almost, it's not like a kiss of death, but it's like you, you're right in, you're, you're leaving. You're, you're never going to come back once you go to make that decision to go to Europe. So, wow, I can't believe it happened back then. You, you well. know, you know what I, a headline he sent me after he told me when he went back and signed with the wild, he said, Reeks, look at what they sent me. The hockey news had Lehman sees the end of his career from the Dolomites. Cause that's where we were in the Dolomite mountains. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But then, but then he made it back to the NHL, which was pretty cool. So uh, well, good. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a uh, great, sort of like you, Jack, you, uh, you know, ups and downs. And then you, you made a great run here uh, last few years on PTOs. I mean, it says a lot about yourself too. So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it was definitely, it's, it's, it's still, it's still going, which is crazy. I thought it was over. Um, but <laughs> all of a sudden I'm back playing in Germany. So, um, that's awesome. yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been a good experience. And I think, you know, guys like yourself, um, you know, Angelo yourself is, as a skills coach and, you know, Sean Allard, you know, Shawnee, um, yeah, you know, you guys are just so high energy, high octane guys. It's like, you get on the phone with you or you, you meet up in person, you get on the ice. It's just like so much energy that it's like, how do you not love the game of hockey? So, and I think that's kind of why, you know, again, why we have you on the show is like, we want to make sure that, you know, we want these parents to understand like what kind of hockey minds are at the pro level. And, um, you know, um, one of the things that like is, is a topic that is, I brought up with Taze is he, he chose the college route. Um, right. He's a Canadian guy, uh, which is obviously not, not normal for a Canadian player to go to college. Um, kind of back when I was in college, uh, usually they were all going to OHL, WHL or Q. Um, but I think, you know, you being a Chicago kid, um, you know, you, you talked about that process of going to Wisconsin and then leaving. Uh, why did you do that? Like what, what kind of, can you walk us through your choice to go to college over anything else? And yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and why did you switch from Wisconsin to Denver? Some good questions. You know, my situation, you know, I grew up in Chicago and Madison was sort of about 90 minutes to, you know, hour, almost two hours from my home. They won the national title. You know, I, I had a great career in juniors. So you get all, you know, the Wisconsin uh, was, you know, the state are obviously a prestigious program was, was so big time in those days too. They won a lot, a lot of stuff. And, and it was kind of neat to play close to home. Um, but you know, once I got there, it's kind of my own fault that I, I quickly learned and it had nothing to do with hockey, to be honest, that, um, I was the type of student that needed to be in a smaller setting. If I was going to even be able to get grades to say eligible. Um, so, you know, I, I looked for a smaller boutique type school and, and Frank Sirtori, who was my coach in juniors, I had a lot of success under, um, took the head coaching job in Denver. So it was, it sort of worked out for me, fortunately. And and I only left Wisconsin uh, because of that. It was nothing to do with the coaching, the amenities, the facility, the school, the, the kids. I mean, everyone was pretty amazing there. It's an amazing setup, as you know. But I, you know, in those days, it's, it's always challenges because you have the W. Or, or the, in those days, we were you had to select when you wanted to get drafted. I think whether it was the Quebec League or the OHL, if you lived in Chicago. And I had some offers to go to some, you know, Hall Quebec and, and different things. And then when I left Wisconsin, actually, I had a guy from uh, Victoria in the WHL offer me a contract to go play in the WHL. But, you know, I knew I was a smaller player and, and odds of me making it in those days were, were, you know, not that I didn't want to make it, but I knew the realistic chances of it was not great. And so I thought I should get an education. Nowadays, obviously, you still can get education, but guys my size are signing like crazy. Heck, they're first round draft picks now. Um, so, um I think the games change a little that way. Obviously it's all about skill and speed and, and the mindset you have and how to play in situations and create offense and, and different areas like that. But I think, you know, I, I college was good for me because it allowed me to, to train my body more and be, get a little stronger and develop. I, I was not ready to play pro hockey. Like a lot of guys are when they step in at 18, 19, 20 nowadays, it's just so different. I mean, the Canes and those guys and Tays are obviously special players and hall of fame players those guys, uh, you know, could do it at any era, but, but a guy like myself, I, I obviously wasn't good enough and I needed time to develop. And, and, and that's the thing I think a lot of people misconceive they're in a hurry to get nowhere sometimes. And, and you have to have patience with the process and, and it might not work for two years. It might not work five years. Maybe it'll work nine years down the road. It depends what your long-term plans are playing. And so many parents rush their kids around mm-hmm. and showcase them all summer and these things. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy to be honest. And, 
this whole thing going on now, hopefully it gives us all a reality check with things too. And, 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 and where the process is and, and what really is important to all of us. Yeah, certainly. That's definitely the silver lining of this coronavirus, uh, the quarantining and the social distancing and all that stuff going on. It's kind of forcing people to kind of just, uh, pull back on the reins a little bit. Um, but uh, you're, you, you know, you brought up the process you know, this is one of the things that Jonathan Tays last week brought up. Um, and I think, um, you're, you're spot on, you know, based off my own experience and, and developing wise, the, the, the chance to develop, to go to school, um, college is great. And, and for that, and, and if you want to go and you want to have the fast track, they called it, you know, you used to, when I was right playing uh, juniors, they called the OHL, the fast track to the NHL. Um, there is no fat track, fast track. You know, that's there. That's not true. Um, but there, there are some benefits to both, both leagues. I'm not going to, I never played in the OHL, so I'm not going to knock it. Um, but, um, you know, these kids, um, these days, what I see is they're playing a ton of games. Uh, um, and I don't know where the development's coming from. You know, like you, you play 60, 70 games as a 12, 13 year old. Let, you know, what, what about burnout from, you know, five, Absolutely. five to 10 years down the road and um, year round and year round. Right. So back when I was growing up, it was like play your high school season. And then you had about four months to go play a different sport or, you know, or train or whatever you wanted to do. There was no hockey. If, if you did play hockey, it was like a week camp here and there. Right. Um, right. and it was, a, and that, that week camp was development based. Um, so you know, let's kind of, let's fast track into some of, them, of these other questions Like you, you are big in youth development. Um, you in fact are, uh, one of the, the owners, right. Or the lead investors of the, uh, TPH Academy in Denver, um, the total package hockey Academy, um, that's based out of the Colorado avalanche practice facility. Can you kind of speak into like, what, what's that Academy all about? Um, well, what do you well, guys, our, what's your main focus our model there? for that is it's all skill development and obviously trying to balance academics and education and, and the social aspect as well, which, you know, is a big, big, you know, when you're trying to get families to understand what it's all about, it's called the center of center of excellence. We call it TPH model. Our director is Jordan Beatrice. Um, he played a long time in Europe actually. And um, Jordan's doing an amazing job right now. And it just came to us. We were looking at it. I was looking at the last three to four years, but my friend, Nathan Bowen, who's the CEO of the company of total package hockey, he started it all. Um, now there's a franchise going in Phoenix this year, another one in uh, New Jersey, I believe. Um, Seth Salvador, Bryce Salvador, I think it is. He played a long time. He's opening that one. Um, so okay. there, it, it, what it is now is it, it's, it's changed because triple a hockey tier one hockey, these kids miss a lot of school. So it's allowed these kids, like even now, those kids who are in our academy, yes, they're at home, but they have our whole online package already set up. So they're, they they never missed a beat with their education where a lot of schools were scrambling, obviously with everything that happened. So it's kind of a unique situation for them. So what they do, a lot of times they check in in the morning around seven, seven thirty ish. Um, they usually, you know, do a little homeroom stuff. Then they have on ice, say from eight thirty to nine thirty, fifteen 15 minute break or so off ice for an hour every pretty much every day. And then they do their, and then they eat or something, you know, snack. And then they have uh, academics for three or four hours. And then they go to their normal teams practice or whoever they play for. But within that, they also have a mentor pro uh, program where every week there's leadership, there's different people coming on and doing um, like on zoom talks and doing things like that. And then just talking to the kids, it's, it's really gone well. And they also go to shelters and, and just do different things like children's hospitals. So, it's the whole model Academy of development, but we also balance it with the teams too, because the teams do practice as well. So you don't want to burn out the kids. So a lot of the skill sets aren't like sometimes where you push yourself in the summer, you know, when you're in August where you're doing different types of skill sets, a lot of these skill sets aren't like hard energy. It's more just using mechanics, your brain and, and functioning that way. So instead of, you know, overexerting the kids, so they're, they can't get their academics done. They, they're, they're not very good at their practice, their regular team practice. We try to balance it. And so we have a whole periodization of training over, you know, the nine months of schooling on uh, different areas of progressions of development that Jordan feels the kids need. And um, we have a whole library and catalog of 
a gazillion drills and, and just different NHL clips to show the kids and, and all that. So they're doing a good job and that's the Academy and it's going really well. We thought we'd struggle the first year, but we had almost 30 signups and we, you know, we were maybe shooting for 15 to 20 the first year. We're probably going to get 40 to 50 for the next season here. So um, we're moving to a new facility, a new three sheet, $65 million rink opening up in December, January here. So we're pretty excited in Colorado about that. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's big. Um, yeah. I mean, you touched on a few things that I, I personally agree with, you know, myself, just uh, that 10 month hiatus I had from playing the game. I, I just kind of went into skills development coaching at, at, uh, on my own right. here in park city, Utah. And, you know, kind of the things that I saw was they're the parents and the kids, they're hungry and you know, they want to get out there. They want to work. Um, but kind of what you t- touched on was quality over quantity, you know, making sure that you're, not doing too much. Um, and in the state of Utah, it's a little different. They're not, they're not playing as many competitive games as other States, but, um, can you kind of talk to, you know, for the parent or the, maybe the young athlete that's listening, can you kind of speak into, um, that like quality over quantity, what, what should be the main focus and how do you know when your, your kid's doing too much? Um, how do you scale it back? And, um, there's a lot of, coaches out there that are selling a product that really probably isn't beneficial. Um, so maybe how do they kind of, you know, decipher what's good for their kid and you know, what's, what's worth their money. Um, I know it's a loaded question, but kind of, you know, answer what you can, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think it's fair question. To me, it's the parent has to set the guidelines at times. If you're putting your kid in 11, 12 months, they, you need to allow them to get away and miss the game a little and get outside. Nowadays, a lot of kids, I, you know, I see are playing lacrosse, which is a great transitional sport. Um, but like I, I personally played baseball in the off season all the time. Um, a lot of guys golf too. And, and, but I, to me, it's too much sometimes. Like if you get, if you get on a road trip and you played four five, six games and you travel, then you get back at Sunday night at nine, 10 o'clock. Your first thing should be get your kid up on Monday morning and get them at skill session or something, you know what I mean? It should be about rest, getting ready for school. Um, and then in the summer, what, what, what sort of puts me over the top is all these spring and summer programs. We all offer development stuff. Like we only do twice a week and it's not even mandatory, our Thunderbird stuff, but what all these other kids, like they, they're doing like all these, and I'm not bashing it, but they're doing like five or six, seven tournaments all over the North America, some in Europe. Uh, there's just no time to be a kid. And I think eventually it does get to them. It might not when they're 10, 11, 12, 13, but when you get to 14, 15, they start to realize unless they're really into it and their mindset is I want to be a college or a pro player, they're going to get burned out. They're going to miss so much of growing up and being a kid. And, and you know, I mean, you did it. If you're in the rink, I've done it so long. That's why I've taken a step back from even coaching. I coached for 23 straight years. Last year was the first year I didn't coach David Clarkson I hired him as my assistant director with the Thunderbirds now, and he's coaching my 16 team that I did for, for a long time. He's doing an amazing job. I sort of knew it was my time. And that's what I, parents have to understand when they see their kids, you know, um, even if their, their focus isn't there, if they're doing different things, they need to get them away from the game. Um, go to the beach, go to, go do something outside. I, I, it's hard to say what is right because every kid's a little different, but I also think as a parent, you have to evaluate, you know, where you're at, my kids should be playing the same thing 11 years or 11 months a year. And you know, what you see guys is more injuries than ever now, because kids are overtraining the same type of body parts all year round. And so you see more injuries in the, whether it's the hips, the knees, whatever it is, you know, shoulders, um, certain, there's certain trends in hockey with injuries. Now with the younger age groups, there's more ACLs than ever, like in certain sports, just because kids are overtraining. And so their bodies aren't as athletic as they used to be. They might be strong in the areas where they focused on, but they're not as athletic overall as they used to be. And, and it's interesting to see the different studies on all that, um, you know, the biomechanics the, and all that of your body. And, and, you know, Jack, when we trained men, it used to be how much, or at least when I trained, it was about how much you can bench press and squat. Now it's so different, you know, um, right. it's, it's, it's like I'm into Pilates and things like that. I wish I had that stuff when I was growing up playing the game. It helps me so much, the flexibility, endurance, the core strength, um, right. you know. But I yeah. think there's also, instead of being in the rink, you could do stuff in your backyard, in your driveway, at the park. It doesn't always have to be at the rink, too. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, yeah, 
you, you're absolutely, I love having you on here because you, you get the youth development side of it. You, you're a pro guy, but you're very humble and you're willing to help the young, the youth hockey community locally there in Denver. Um, you're, you obviously gave, gave me a ton of advice when I was going into coaching as well. So, um, you see it, I think from a really good lens, like when, when you talk about all these kids playing in the off season, um, and going to overseas to these tournaments and going to these camps and just like, it's a year round sport now. Um, not to knock the parent. It's just like trying to be truthful here. Like Angela, what, what would you say is like the main motivation then if the parent on the parents end, uh, for their kid, it may be some of them just think their kids revved up about the game of hockey and they just want to give them every opportunity, which is fine. Um, but some other parents are out there like, I need to get my kid exposure. Um, oh, yeah. That fear of not getting exposed, I think, drives more parents than not. And can you kind of talk about like, because Taze brought it up last week and he was saying, and I agree with him, he said, um, no matter no matter what, if you're good enough, you will be discovered. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say the same thing, to be honest. Thanks, Taze. Um, yeah. Uh, no, you know, there is no hidden players anymore with social media, with the way stuff can be videoed and transferred so quickly. If you have any ounce, we had a kid from Utah, actually for the Thunderbirds, all we saw was him doing skating and some stick handling outside and his talent looked amazing. And, and now he's going to end up playing for us next year because he's a really good player. Um, and we never saw him really playing a game. So, I mean, if you're good enough, I don't know if you know, Dylan Gambrelli plays with the San Jose Sharks, a kid from Booney Lake, Washington, never heard of him, never anything. You know, he didn't leave home till his, you know, second year midget or till he was midget age. Um, so it's amazing that no one heard of him. He came to camp, Pierre Turgeon and I were coaching. He was my assistant coach that year. And we had Dominic Turgeon, his son who signed with Detroit. Uh, we had Dylan Gambrell who signed with uh, San Jose. We had Brandon Carlo on the team signed with the Bruins. Scotty Enzer on that team signed with the Islanders. This is all local kids in Denver, except him. He was from Washington. He came out out of nowhere. Right. And just, he didn't have to do camps. He just came. And within two sessions, we offered him a spot. Like it's, you're going to get found. We had a call, you know, a friend out in Washington called me and said, Hey, you got to look at this kid. So he came out to camp and, and, from there, the rest was history. He lived with Brandon Carlo, their best friends. They're both in the NHL now. And it's just kind of a cool story because he was never forced to go all over. He just stayed in his hometown until he was ready. And I think that's the key too. You don't feel like you have to leave home at such an early age because nothing really, we all offer these, you know, these levels and, 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 and teams, but you really don't have to leave home until pretty much midget, but you know, sometimes maybe at 14, depending where you live, but usually it's 15, 16 age, 17 age where you got to move, move on. People are in such a hurry and they're worried about to get to juniors. And I don't know what you're worried about. Cause most of them who are too young, get to juniors. They sit on the bench. You know, we mm-hmm. had a player, I'm not going to say who it is, but two years ago was one of my top players. We knew he wasn't ready for juniors, but he was so persistent. Would have been better playing U18 hockey, being a first line guy, playing a lot of minutes and developing your game instead of sitting around. Now he's getting traded again. Um, as you know, it's just, I don't understand what the hurry is for these people because if the, if the end result happens at 18 or 20 or 21, what's the difference as long as you get to where your end result is. And and, you know, and I'm talking about getting to college around in those days, but, but the WHL is fine. Like we had kids, you know, go to the dub and be great. And, and other kids, it didn't work out, but Seth Jones, Brandon Carlo, those guys, we knew they were good players. Did we know, you know, they were going to be who they are. No, you never really know until they get going. But, um, you know, it's, it's, they were, I was okay with them going to WHL route because they, you know, they, they just showed the signs of being a pro a, a little earlier than others. They were six foot four or five. They skated well, their brains were there. They, as a defenseman, they were calm with the puck under pressure, good decisions. Like they could, you know, could, they could make, when they did make mistakes, they were able to recover because of their skating. So there's a lot of little attributes you look at to where, and you think guys are ready. And, and I, you know, what's funny you talk about it, Jack is, you know, guys with skills like flyers never had a skills guy. And, and I'm sorry, I'm, you know, Elaine Vignon, I talked at the draft last summer in June and then I, they hired me like a couple of weeks later and, and Scott Lawton and guys like Phil Myers and, and uh, even Sean Couturier now and guys like that, they never had that. And it's not like I work a lot with them, but we do stuff before practice, whether it's 10, 15 minutes or after practice, 
Elaine Vignal AV is giving me like, I've done six skill sessions on my own where I have like six forwards for 30 minutes, six forwards for 30 minutes, six, seven defensemen for 30 minutes. We've done that like four or five times in the season. So like he, he understands, he looks at the schedule when usually there's two practices before a game. A lot of those ones are the skill session. Um, every day I'm available for the guys. And some of them, I may just go out and, and work on some shooting or work on pickup pucks off the wall and attacking the seams or a defenseman with foot, footwork. It's not about tiring them out before practice or after practice as well, you know, or taking some video on like Travis Sanheim and I, we did a lot of his shooting. Like he, you know, he was lunging forward too much or kicking his back leg too far. He was, he had heavy, we were calling it where he was so low to the ground. His shot was not very accurate. And so you just work on little things. You put, you know, put it on the iPad and go over it with them. And so I've, I've learned a lot too, man. It's been amazing that the pro level is so different compared to, to, you know, the youth and juniors in college, obviously, but it's, it's the guys are there for a reason and to watch their commitment each day, like getting to the gym and what they do before practice and after practice. Um, it's, it's, it's really now you know why those guys are where they are. How much can you change, you know, their skills at that level though? Cause I mean, a lot of these guys have been playing, you know, if, oh, if they're in their thirties, they've been playing for 20, 25 years yeah. already and it can be a bit hard. So, um, where, where do you pick your battles and, and how, how do you approach trying to change something that's so ingrained in a lot of these athletes? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I had, I'm not going to lie. My first two months was a challenge. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but the, the guys didn't know me except a couple, um, so what you have to do is gain their trust. And, and um, you know, I'm, the young guys were easy. The Farabees, the Phil Myers, the Sam Morins, um, you know, Scotty Lawton's, like those guys who were a little younger, probably 25 and under, they've grown up with skills coaches and things like that. So they love it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and it took me a little time, like even with, you know, Claude is amazing. He works his butt off Drew and, but finally, you know, they, they come to you and Couturier, like I started working on shootout stuff with him and, and we watched, like we broke down every, every shootout he took the last two years, you know, successful ones, unsuccessful ones. It was him, Voracek and Giroux, just little things you look at. And I just sent like they call the guys notes on, on things I noticed. And, you know, so you try to pick your battles, but eventually, you know, you you're not going to reach all of them. That's just the way it is. There's certain guys, which is fine, but, but I'm always available and they know that, but I think you just work and you're not trying to change too much. I think more of us is about repetitive stuff, putting confidence back in their mind. Cause I'm not a coach that determines playing time. I'm not all, you know, ups and downs, all that. So the guys I think feel a little more comfortable talking to me and guys in our position sometimes. So you learn a lot too about the guy and, and what they're thinking and, and all that. And, you know, you, you got to toe the line there and listen and talk and be a, and be sympathetic to their situation because I don't really control. I, I can't go in and tell AB, but the coach does ask, you know, Hey, who, who are you working with today or how to go, you know? Um, you know, so it, it's, it's a balance, man. I'm not going to lie to you. Some of the older guys, they, you know, like, you know, Matt Nishkinen's amazing. And when he wants to work with me, he comes, gets me. I don't really go to him. Do you know what I mean? He's a longtime veteran, won a Stanley cup. So when he's like, reach, let's do some shooting today. I'm like, okay. You know, so it's, you just find the balance, man. And then the younger guys, like I usually send a text, Hey, I'm available, you know, before, after practice these times. And the young guys are always, and it depends on the schedules, you know, sometimes when there's four games and six nights, it's, you're not going to really practice much. So it's all relative. Then I would work with the injured guys, obviously getting guys back on the ice, that type of stuff, which is a little different type of, cause now you're working on not just skills, but cardio and, and, and getting their skating back and conditioning. So it's, um, it was a hard question. It took me a while to figure it out. And I don't know if I still figured it all out, but I'm learning. Um, and, and I think in the future I'll be better at it. Uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a fine line, man. You can't tell Jake Voracek, you know what to do. He's been in the league a long time and he's a very good player and he's a great dude. So um, when, when they're ready for you, they'll come, but also you can, I think you can get a feel too. And you know, the guys when you can talk to them, you know what I mean? And so I think that's a good sense of how to read each other too. Yeah, that's great. I, I think, um, there's a lot going on there and um, it, it's definitely like to be an NHL skills coach or NHL coach at that level, you have to be somewhat of an artist and you gotta, you gotta be and a psychologist at the same time. So you gotta kind of figure out, you know, how your personal, you know, the way you teach and coach kind of blends with other players and you gotta, you know, you know, understand as a player myself, I really appreciated it when coaches took the time to kind of just try to understand me. Um, right you know, understand my psychology where like you tell me to go run, do those boards. I'm going to do it. 
You know, you don't need to yell at me. You don't need to, you know, you don't need to overcoach me. You say this and I'm going to do my best to try to, to do it. Um, but there's one thing that you touched on a while back. Um, and I want to, I want to come right back to where we are now, but it's kind of like where this whole Martin, you and I were talking a while ago to start a podcast. The whole reason why I was so fired up about starting a podcast and helping these parents and kids and everybody was what you said, Angela, about what's the rush. Um, you know, I, I've met people that have kids that have moved and left their hometown and moved right. across the country at 13 years old. And I remember going to the United States uh, development program, um, at 16 and I was like still wet behind the ears. And I can look back <laughs> and like, I can't even believe that I left at 16 years old. Jonathan Taze last week said he left at 15 to go play for Shattuck St. Mary's. Right. So right. You have these kids and, and like, I look back at my career and I'm like, yeah, obviously the development program is just great. And Shattuck St. Mary's is great. Some of these places that these kids are going, they're great. But what I missed out on, um, and you know what, I, I'm going to, before I say anything more about that, I, I, I had a great development experience and I'm not going to regret my move because it was a great move for me and it was the right time for me. But um, I do look at, some high quality years that, that I could have had at home, um, learning, learning valuable lessons from my father, from my family, um, that would have helped oh, my character that would have helped raise me into a, a better human being, maybe a more mature human being. Therefore, I, other than, you know, you go to, you go to a development program, you go to Shattuck St. Mary's or you go to a junior team where, all these kids are in the same boat as you and they're free from their parents. Yeah. They have bill of parents, but like you get away with a lot of stuff, you know? And it's like, all of a sudden, instead of being raised in your own household, you're being raised in a locker room. So you're not really learning. I mean, in this, yeah, I mean, hockey players are great guys at the end of the day, but there's some seriously good and valuable lessons that you could learn within your home that like, I just don't think that risk at 13 years old is worth the reward. It's crazy. Who knows if you're going to like the game in two, three years when you get to high school and girls and cars and, and all that stuff too. I mean, I, I, we had a, we have a, like, to me, I'm like, the biggest thing I tell parents is you really want to send your kid away at 13, 14. You're never going to get these years back. And the odds of playing college hockey are less than 1%. The odds of playing the NHL are even less than that. You know, there's like, so take, for example, what's their 60, 61 college teams, say 20 players, you know, there's 18 scholarships, whatever, just round it up to 1200. If you divide some of those scholarships and have 15 to 1800 scholarships in the whole world. Okay. Of the whole world. And there's 50,000 players in Michigan playing alone. And, and, and so to really think about it, like, I mean, you got to put it in perspective and, and, and a lot of people don't, they, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's some special players. Yes. But you also know if your kid's good enough. Um, you know, I like, Jack, even when I grew up, like I, I was ready, you know, I was a senior in high school. I, I like, you know, I had a hundred goals at midget at 16 years old. I was ready to go to the next level. So my parents said, when you're ready to go to the next level, you're going to go to the next level. And I did that at juniors the next year, you know, and I led the league as a rookie in the USHL. So yes, I was ready. But to me, I, my parents would have never let me left home at 14, 15, 16. I had an offer to go to Toronto when I was 16, a year before that. They're like, you're not leaving. Um, and so you just like, I, I don't understand because at the end of the day, you're losing your, your family life. You'll never get back. A lot of times their grades suffer because they go to a whole new environment. A lot of times they're the younger kids on the league or on the team. Right. So you're growing up with guys who are older, 19, 20, 18 years old. Right. And they're teaching you lessons that maybe you're not ready for or mature enough to handle. Um, right. And, and hopefully there's one or two good play- and not that they're bad guys. It's just, that's the scene they're in, right. They're a little older. So they're a little more, into that type of stuff. Um, right. So I, I just think it's the environment you want to, and if you send your kid away and you do your due diligence, just make, to me, make sure you've done the check. You know, you checked all the boxes in terms of who you're going to be living with. Uh, what's the atmosphere, what's the culture like from the coach and the leadership group. Uh, so do some due diligence. If you are going to leave, I'm not saying, you know, every kid's a little different, but 95%, 99% of them should stay in their area as long as they can and be at home. Because um, as you know, I mean, Jack, look how hard it is to make it. Like it's, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Martin, I don't know. I mean, your background at all, but I, I, you know, I, I mean, from where you're at, you've probably seen it too. It's hard as heck to make it to the highest levels and not even just make it staying there, making a career out of it. That's even harder. 
Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, we talked with Taze last week about, about that. And I was telling him how, like, I'm a, I was a seventh overall draft pick, you know, like right. you could, you could have, I could have easily just said, packed it in and said, Hey, I'm seventh overall draft pick and I'm the best player ever. And, and, um, you know, I, I went the opposite. I overcorrected because I was like, now the hard work starts. And I went so hard on myself, like uh, put place all these expectations on myself and worked overly hard instead of kind of relaxing, finding that balance where, you know, talking with Taze and, you know, knowing Patrick Kane and all those guys, like they always kind of find that balance. The best players in the league always have that, like just even keel, steady Eddie right. balance. But even, even like my being a seventh overall draft pick, Tays being a third overall draft pick. And if you were to talk to Patrick Kane and you were to talk to Jack Johnson or whoever, um, every single guy's um, journey is different. It's not the right. same. And it seems like everybody is trying to go for the same exact recipe. Even your, your kind of testimony of hockey is like totally different. Obviously it was a different right. time, but still it's like relatively the same of what, what could possibly happen to players coming, coming around today. You look at Joe Pavelski, you know, yeah. Joe Pavelski played, I think it was three. I think he played all the way to two up or to three years. Year. Yeah. 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 Junior, junior year of high school in Stevens point, Wisconsin and high school hockey in Wisconsin. Isn't that great? Um, but he played team Wisconsin before and after. So he had some exposure in the AAA, which was great, but he still was playing in front of his own friends and peers. And he was staying at home with his family still. Then he goes to Waterloo and he plays really well. And I think he doesn't go to Wisconsin until he's like 21 years old. Right. So then he plays Wisconsin two or three years. So the time he goes pro, he's like, what, 24, 25 years old. I don't, I don't know how old he was, maybe he was old, maybe a little long, younger, but he went there and I was like, man, like there were, and he would probably even tell you like, yeah, my, my skating maybe was struggling at that point. But I mean, playing with him in college, it was like, this kid is the smartest hockey player I've ever seen play the game. And he always was. My dad coached him in team Wisconsin. I got a right. good chance to watch him when I was younger. And then he goes to, to San Jose and he's in the minors. He starts in the minors and a lot of kids would get upset about that. But he was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to develop and I'm going to, I'm going to dig in here and wait for my opportunity. Sure enough, guy gets injured. He gets, and he's never looked back. So right. you look at guys like Belsky and he's, I don't even know his salary, but who cares? But he's, he's scoring close to 40, 50 goals a year now. Um, and has been, he's Olympian and, and all that jazz, but, um, his journey was but totally different. But he also learned how to become a leader through all that. And he also mastered something, his ability to score goals in front of the net. You know, he found a niche that you just, and on the power play, you know what I mean? He just really, he understood his role and didn't rush it either. Right. So, I mean, I think exactly. you see that. And I, and I think that's yeah. kind of what I want parents and, and kids and, and whoever listens to this, 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 this show to understand, like, whatever you go through, whatever experience you go through, whatever delays, there's, there's some like silver lining there. There's something to learn, you know, look at, look at guys like Joe Pavelski, just like you said, like he took that time, he embraced it. He dug in, he worked harder. He said, I'm going to work through this and I'm going to, I'm going to make it. Um, and that determination got him to where he was. And Hey, there's, there's a strong chance that it won't for some, for a lot of guys, Right. but you're going to learn some valuable lessons along the way. But I think um, Joe, Joe and guys like him, you know, you know, like even Brett Hall in the day where he was on a power play, right. They are or, or the type of player you want to be to sustain and play in the league and get a second and third contract. A lot of guys have ideas on what it is, but to me, ideas themselves, they have no value. Do you know what I mean? Unless you can make them come to life. And so, you know, I saw, I read something similar to that uh, a week ago, or a few days ago, and I thought it really was a powerful message to me that we all have ideas and yes, they could be good ideas, but unless we have value and put some work into them, and they're brought to whatever we're doing, whether it's your family, your personal, your work, they really have no value. So even in hockey, if you have ideas on just how many kids do you hear or players, you, I want to do this or that, but they don't really bring anything to the table. They don't do the extra work. And then they don't transfer that, that extra work to skill set or ability to play the game. You know what I mean? The right way and how they have to. So, so to me, find your niche as a player, right? Whatever it is, Jack, you had to change, right? A seventh overall pick. Everyone thinks, I'm just being honest, right? You're going to be this 30, 40 goal score, whatever it might be. Right. Um, but you knew how to sustain yourself and play 400 games, 500 games, whatever it is, and, and still playing because you learned 
what you need to do to stay in the league too. And, and that's a big, big difference. It's not easy sometimes. And we've talked about that, but, but you did it. And, and it's, it's an amazing tribute to you, just how you, you battle through that too. It's not easy, you know? And well, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, like the, I was, I call it unfortunate really to, to have that level of perseverance later in my career. You know, like right. guys like Pavelski got it earlier. They got a dose of it really early. There's right. guys that are undrafted that are having seriously great success in the NHL right now. They had that perseverance. Look at Tory Krug. You know, I don't right. know if he was undrafted. He was a really late draft pick. Like he was, everyone was knocking his size. And he was like dealing with all that crap early on in his career. And now look at him. You know, it was, um, I think perseverance at any level um, is really healthy for you being challenged. It, it forces you to grow in ways that you wouldn't have grown otherwise. And, you know, look, yeah, you're right. Like with me, I, it was really painful. It was really painful to be the best player. One of the best players on every team I played on um, to be this highly touted draft pick and then get to the pros and they'd be like, okay, well you got to develop now. You're not ready. Right. And it was like, how, like mentally I was like, I wasn't ready to, to, hear that i was just like well i am ready what are you talking about i've always been ready i've never been told i can't make a team i've made every single team i've tried out for up to this point so i kind of went through this like really like a three-year stage of like where where's my career going like i suck at hockey like 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 the ebbs and flows i don't know i'm a good player no i suck at hockey i'm having success no i'm playing terrible and it was like i couldn't find that structure. And then it got to the point where it was like four years into my career. Well, Jack, you got to figure it out how to make it and stick in the NHL because whatever you're doing and have been doing, it's just not working. So I molded myself or tried my best. I asked advice from coaches that, you know, assistant coaches like Dan Hynote in Columbus, you know, how right. can I stay here? What can I do to earn the coach's trust? And then I kind of doors started opening and the light bulb started going on. I was like, okay, I started figuring out how my personal skills and could adapt to the league. And I think there's something to be to said, said about that. And guys, it just goes to show you that every guy's journey is different and you have to, you know, there's levels of perseverance and, 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 and you have to endure things at different ages, at different timelines, and nobody's the same. And there's no sense rushing any of it. But I think one of the things that, you know, really hits me is earlier too, you said about the lack of, and Martin, you can speak into this too, because of your, your strength and conditioning background, um, the injuries, the overtraining, the, um, or sorry, the, the overcompetition and the lack of training, you know, Vern Gambetta, I had his, his book athletic development here and he, he talks about it, um, in the United States, young athletes tend to overcompete and undertrain. There is a distorted emphasis on competition to the exclusion of training. And programs tend to be performance programs, not development programs. Um, and fortunately, we tend to focus on the few who thrive because they are the stars. You know, right. like, can you, Martin, maybe can you speak into um, what maybe these parents need to understand about that, like the balance of your body, the biomechanics of it. Like if you keep on using the same things over and over, there's going to be wear and tear over time. You need to do things to balance it out. Um, or do you not agree with that? I, mean, I agree with that. And it's not just a youth problem though. Cause you also look at the NHL level and you got so many games during the season, you're on the road so much that even there it's hard to get in training. So if you're not training as a kid and you're not training as an adult, you're, you're moving the whole time and you're, you're playing the whole time, but um, you're just making yourself more and more fragile by doing the same thing over and over. That's how I see it. The, the you know, the good athletes, you know, they might, you know, as you talked about too, um, Jack and Angela is talking about the start here, you know, playing other sports. Even that is a huge value. I mean, it gives you a bit more robustness. It gives you a broader skill set. You get put into different scenarios, different positions and everything like that. You're going to be able to come out of it a lot easier. And thinking about it, instead of just, do I make the next team? Do I make, uh, you know, five more minutes of playing time in the next game? Having that long-term vision to really understand, okay, not what is it – need to make the all-star team as an eight-year-old but what does it need to make you know the, these big leaps over 10 20 years and they're going to be different things right the long the long-term development aspect of it um absolutely it's, it's so hard um, to I see though because you try and convince a parent in that situation and 
they always you know they're they're looking at what's in front of them it's hard for them to see the the way outside picture and then you know that as we said that picture is going to be for less than one percent of the athletes too so you know maybe they just want that glory for the next uh five minutes (laughs) right exactly um Okay, well, good. I, I think that's that's some things that I think are it's extra valuable for parents and, and athletes, young athletes, to hear. Um, but I want to take it right back before we finish up with Angelo. I really want to hear from Angelo about um, you know what are scouts and coaches looking for um, in young players at the ages of fifteen, sixteen years old. Well, I, I, obviously, I think any player that is is uh, you know wants to play at the next level, you have to have, you have to do something well, you have to have some skill sets in your game, whether it's, you don't have to be the best at each of those skill sets, but you have to have some, some good skill sets. Uh, and I, I think is, is everything thing. you have to have a compete level. If you don't have a compete level and a, and a, and the energy and passion to, 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 to want to win battles. And, and if you get the puck taken from, you get it back or back, you know, track back hard or block shots. Like the compete level to me is so important because we allow people to get away with less than ever now instead of doing more. And, and to me, competition. So three things I really look at skill set, your compete. And, and the biggest thing is we all talk about, you have to have a brain. The game is so fast. Now, if you don't have a hockey IQ, you don't have to be the smartest guy. Yes. There are smarter players than others. Like Sean Couturier on the flyers. He is, is like his brain and the way he plays the game or Claude Giroux, their thinking of the game is so next level. And then you have other guys on the team that might not think the game as well, but they have the physical attributes and they still are good enough, you know, mentally and physically and in their brains to get by. But you, you know, as you know, you can't teach dumb. We always hear that. Right. And so um, it's right to me, you, you, you can't be a guy who goes hundred miles an hour, just, you know, down the wall and don't, don't bring anything to the game. Now you have to, but, I, but I, I know a lot of scouts look at like, you know, say for a defenseman, that first pass, that ability to move up the ice, um, that ability to, to have a good stick and defend one-on-one, right? Forwards, you know, depending on what you're, you're if you're a centerman or a winger. Um, and it's funny, when I recruit players, like when I was doing our midget stuff, I always try to find as many centers as I can. Um, obviously, there's guys who just like really look good on the wing and can play that naturally. But to me, centers are more versatile once you, because they can play the wall and they're really good with that. And some guys end up liking it because they don't have to skate as much if they're playing in the defensive zone um, and just different things. So I think every you know position's a little different, but I do think you know the three things are your compete level, your brain, and your skill set. You have to offer something. I mean, you can't be a guy with no skill. I mean, and and I don't mean that about even the guys now who are fourth line guys. They have pretty good skill. You know what I'm saying? Like it's right in the old days, it not used to be like that. You, you could be a you could get away with not being able to skate great, but you could throw some haymakers and fight like that and, and have a place in the league, which was great, but it's changed. It's changed big right. time. Yeah. Um, the intelligence level is just, uh, it's, it's through the roof. You can see it while watching these NHL games. It's the, you know, Austin Matthews and these young goal scorers coming in the way they get open, the, 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 the area, the, the, the space they and find. And they don't need time, Jack. They can get the puck off so quickly. Right. And, 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 and it's in, you know, they're, they're, the obviously sticks are amazing now too. Not that that's the huge the guys obviously are talented, but sticks, the technology helps a lot too with things because the puck just jumps off sticks now. Um, right. But Matthew, Matthew's releases is, is you can't, I don't even know how you, how you even can talk about it. It's incredible when you watch it. It's like, it's, it's yeah, just like the way he hides it. He sometimes <laughs> hides it in his skates. You know, if you reach it and you miss and you, you trip them or something, it's another, it's a five on three or a power play. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, he, and he's just so quick at releasing it, you know, wherever. And he's, a, he's just a natural goal scorer, but he, there you go. There's a, there's a perfect example. Arizona kid, right. Or right. Right. Yeah. Scottsdale. Yeah. Yeah. Scottsdale. I mean, yeah. guy grew up in Scottsdale. Like there wasn't youth hockey really going on. It still is kind of growing in that area. Right. I mean, there's a perfect example of another guy coming from a kind of a ghost area in the United States and makes it now he's one of the best players in the NHL. But uh, Seth, Jones was, Seth Jones was Dallas and Denver, Colorado. Yeah, exactly. So you you're going to be discovered. Um, but it's funny. You, you remind me of a story. Um, you said you can't just run around out there. But I remember Coach Eves telling me when I was in college, he said, <laughs> Jack, you're like, a, you're like a young Labrador retriever running around the coffee table in the center of a living room. All you need is a little guidance. And I remember <laughs> like, it's so true because it was like I just needed like less is more. 
Less right, is more. And right. some of these kids need to understand that. And I had coaches telling me that even in the pros, like you're working too hard. So, I mean, there is a balance. You, you got to compete and you got to work really hard, but you have to have smarts too. You got to work smart. Um, so, well, well, uh, when you overwork, you, you don't work efficiently and that makes you more tired and more successful at the end of a shift to make a mistake or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, exactly. Um, so some of the last few questions, um, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you touched on the main focus of your players. You touched on how to, how to, you know, reach at different, different guys in the room. But one thing that I really want, um, cause it kind of t- ties into exactly what you were saying about what you look for as a scout and a coach is, you know, compete and, and, and smarts and, and skill level. But, um, what about character? You know, what does it mean at the pro level for you as a pro coach? What does it mean to be a pro? What does that mean to you? Uh, to me, a pro is about everything you do from the m- moment you walk into the facility to the moment you leave it. And when you go home, it's, you know, people think being a pro is just about what they do at the rink. Right. But when you go home, how do you take care of yourself? You know, are you on your phone all night? Are you playing video games? Are you sleeping your nutrition? But to me, a pro is how you respect not just your teammates, but everyone around you and how you treat. Like I see guys now, like when they go out to the Zam, they say, you know, thanks to the Zam guys. Right. I mean, to me, that's being a pro and it's doing everything you do to the best of your ability, whether it's a good day or bad day, believe me, we struggled early in the year and you could see, and you know, with, with just with our new coaching staff with AV and he's an amazing coach bringing in his coaching staff. Some of the guys, who are used to getting away with things that, you know, some guy, not, I shouldn't say get away, but just play a different style. Right. And, and now being more accountable on the backside of the puck and the D side of the puck, it, you know, it was some, but those guys, they were pros, right. And they kept battling through it, battling through it. So, um, but to me, you have to have, you know, being a pro is about respect. It's about um, trusting your teammates, um, caring about them, not really giving a crap. If you're on the first line or fourth line, or if you're in or out of the lineup, you know, we had guys who, who would be out of the lineup because we had seven D they were rotating a few of them. And, you know, I talked to a couple of them a couple of times, like, Hey man, your body language isn't good. You know, I, I'm just trying to help you. So you don't, you know, you don't want coach to see this. And, you know, then you could see like the younger guys starting to understand like what they have to do to be a pro each day, like a Farabee. I'll give you a great example of what a pro is. We, we played four games or five games, like eight nights or something. And then we played Saturday afternoon and the next day was a, a, a charity thing with the flyers we did. And like, they raised like $2 million or something. And the guys literally are there from like new, like 11 to like three or four in the afternoon. Like, you know, they don't signing autographs, playing video games, like a carnival type thing. But before that, Drew text, it was like seven in the morning on Sunday, Drew text, uh, Farabee, the young guy, Joel Farabee. And he's like, Hey, let's get a workout in. So they went down with the trainers before all this happened. Cause I was, I, I know I, I worked out. So I s- saw them and I'm like, what's up guys. He's like, you know, I, and, and Drew took a young guy under his wing. He's a pro and showed fairly what it means to be a pro, even on an off day. And when you're tired, it wasn't a big lift, but it was more about just recovery and stretching and all those type of things to make your body ready for the game. We had to play the next day. You know what I mean? So to me, that's, that's being a pro, a leader, a captain, showing a young guy who has a bright future with the flyers, um, how, how it's going to be when Claude's gone. Cause he's, you know, he's a 32, three, whatever he is now. And, you know, J- Joel's 19 years old. So Joel's going to be around a lot longer. Um, so to me, I, I, that's what being a pro is about, um, how you approach everything. Um, Jack, you're seeing it now, just like, you know, going from a player to, to even doing the stuff you're doing last year, you saw, how being, you know, just organized, understanding when you're a pro, you have a lot of stuff done for you. Then when you're not a pro, you have to understand how to manage certain things more. So like, I mean, even Adam Foot who coached with me and those guys, Adam was like, man, I got to do itineraries and like stuff. I go, yeah, Adam, like this is when you're a coach, we have to change from get everything done for you. Now we have to do that stuff. And I don't mean that in a bad way, everything done. It's just, that's the way it was right now. You're learning how to be a pro in a different way. So it's, it's about, to me, there's so many factors in it and it's, it's fun to see the guys who really are about, you know, being professionalism all the time. Yeah, totally. It's, it's more, I think it's about character than, than anything you taught. One thing that you touched on that I think sticks out and can be related immediately to youth hockey is body language. 
Um, <clears throat> being a pro, like you, you look at, you know, guys like Taze, you know, they, you can't really ever tell if they're having a bad game, you know, <laughs> just kind of like steady Eddie. Um, but can you, can you, I mean, that's, that's a huge, I, I, I think as a coach, oh, for me, like when I see the best player on the team, say there's a best player on the team and you're watching me standing out and then he gets a bad pass and he just like throws his head up in the air and gives his teammate the hairy eye. It's like, Whoa, I am kind of like turned off by that. I'm like, yeah, this guy's got an attitude issue. He's got to you know figure what a, that out. You know what a scout told me? And actually it was good. I should have mentioned it earlier. Is he said he would watch. It didn't always have to be your best player, but guys they were looking at, like if they made a mistake or, you know, they were open and they didn't get the puck or whatever it might be said, he would watch that player sit down on the bench, how he, re- how he reacted when the coach spoke to him or what he said to his teammate who didn't pass the puck. He would watch that to see what type of teammate he is. And to me, that says a lot because it's not just, or how, when you walk out of the rink after the game and how you conduct yourself, like those, bo- the, the body language to me is, I'm not going to say who it exists, but we had a, a video session this year and I don't, and our head coach, you know, showed Ballot battling, which for one of our bigger player, like our, our veteran type leaders on the team for like the whole shift, man, I've never seen anything. Like, I guess he's never been, you know, called out like that in, in, in his career with the flyers. And, and it was an amazing thing to see because it, it almost brought the team together more and that, and then that player never, he didn't, he didn't do it the rest of the season so far. It, it was just, it's amazing to see when you catch yourself because sometimes it's, it's not even you, you, you could be down and upset with yourself, but to me, it impacts everyone else around you. And that's what you don't want because it becomes contagious too. And you don't want that to happen. You want it to be, you know what I mean? And the bad body language can lead to, especially when you're losing, it's easy to blame and point fingers. Um, so to, to me, it's, it's one of the, if you have negative body language, you aren't going to go very far. I mean, I guess if you're Patrick Kane, you know, you might be able to, right. But most of the guys aren't going to be able to because they're just not going to deal with it. They don't want that in the locker room. Like when you go in these locker rooms nowadays, the guys are pretty close. They're tight. Um, and as you know, you have the group of the guys who aren't married and the guys who are married, you know I mean? Which is, they still go together and have team meals and stuff, but you have those little groups because that's just, your lives are different after you leave the rink. Yeah, totally. And, and it's like, it infects the group. You know, I, yeah. I, I had issues with body language in my career as well. I'm not going to pretend I didn't, you know, but it, 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 when other guys do it, it infects you. It's like, what's that guy's problem? Yeah, we get it. You're not scoring goals, but you're going to score. Like you're one of the lead goal scorers on the team. Don't, don't sit there and complain about it. Or, you know, maybe the guy's in and out of the lineup. Don't complain about being in and out of the lineup. Cause right. at the end of the day, um, nobody really wants to hear that stuff. That's negative. But, um, right. all right. So, to the parent, to the kid that's listening, and they're like, "Yeah, this is all great. This is like the greatest information ever." But I'm in like the worst. Uh, I have the worst coach. I have the worst. I'm playing for the worst organization. I'm in like one of the worst states to play in. Um, what do you What do you say in terms of advice to these kids and parents um, to maybe pull their, you know, get, bump them into the, into the right direction, positive, be more positive, or are there's are little changes they can make? What's, what would you like to leave our listeners with in terms of advice if they're in a negative development um, environment right now? Well, I mean, I think it, are you talking about a specific age or, or what? Like, I know? think, I think in youth, youth levels, like kind of, yeah, right between, you know, 10 to 10 to 15 years old, where they're kind of getting ready to decide whether they want to play the game forever and, and, or, or deciding whether they need to leave. Um, maybe it's just a bad environment. They're, they're not getting what they need or they think they're not getting what they, they need. But what, what is some good kind of like advice, universal advice to give to people or maybe some things that they can do on their own time in order to make up for it? Well, I think the most important thing is if you have a, whether it's the head coach or a director for the program, have a communication, you know, set up, don't be one of those parents who, who have the, you know, the, the, you know, the long car ride home where you're the two minute car ride home where you're yelling at your son or telling him how to, you know, what to do and stuff. I think to me, it would be more approach the coach, ask for a meeting um, and, and do it in a civil way. Not when you're upset, maybe wait a day or 24 hours or 48 hours, whatever it might be. And, and really digest it, how you would want to be treated if that was you. Uh, to, 
because you know what people forget a lot of these coaches are volunteers too and, and yes mm-hmm. some of them might not be as good as others but you don't want to lose those just like we don't want to lose referees because we yell and swear at them as and, and like they're humans they make mistakes um and, and we all love the game so let's try to nurture the game the best we can so it so it grows and to me i think communication is the key in anything okay so have a set up a meeting and if it doesn't work you know, we've even been here where it's not necessarily about your best player. It might be a B level player, or a C level player, or a level player, but you know what we found out, you know what, it wasn't a good fit with the organization. We just, we, so we called another organization down the road and said, Hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with this family. We just, the fit's not here. We think this young man or, or girl needs a, a change of scenery. And, you know, we help him get in another organization. I mean, that's extreme cases, but I do think if you communicate with the director or the coach or whoever is your, whatever you feel you're lacking, don't yell at them or send them a nasty email or text. I mean, it's so easy to misconstrue a text or email. Get on the phone or set up a, you know, send them an email or text say, hey, can we meet in person and have a civilized talk? You know, as you know, Jack, I mean, sometimes in modern texts and stuff can take the whole wrong way when you don't even mean anything like that. Um, and so I think the to set the right mood. And, 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 and I think you have to do your homework, right, in the offseason to make sure the program is, is what you want in terms of, what they offer for how many ice touches do I get? Um, what's the competition like? What other players? What other players do we have? And I don't mean go recruit, but I just mean do your homework, do your due diligence within your organization. Um, who the coach is going to be? Uh, does he have a son on the team, which or daughter, which sometimes plays a factor? But it's hard to find a lot of non-parent coaches. It's really hard. Um, so I, I think you do your homework, and, and, and a lot of time that's done in the spring, right? Uh, and then your registration comes out and then you can make decisions on where you want to go. But, but no, like even with the Thunderbirds now, Jack, we've, we've done skill stuff, but we've not taken to approach. We are this year. Uh, we hired a, a pure skating coach. Who's going to work with all of our teams. We're hiring a defensive coach, Jan Hada, and we're hiring an offensive coach to do all skill stuff for the forwards the skill stuff for the D. And then we have, Oh, and a goalie coach. So we have like four different sets of skills coaches that are going to be only skill sessions this year. And that's what's going to, and we've never done that, but I think it's, we're just trying something new. And I think it's going to help our organization because they've still got their normal touches, but now they're going to get extra skills touch as well. Um, you know, so they're going to be on the ice four or five times a week with that. Um, not with the skills, but with all that stuff. So I think you just find with your organization, I felt we were lacking Clarkson and I talked about it and we needed to, to, to make our program even more attractive to, to players and families and what we offer. And then we have an off ice like the Avs guys, their assistant trainers are going to be our trainers in the afternoon when they're done with the Avalanche now. So our off-ice wow. trainers. So like we're, we're working on building, you know, we could sit on our morals for a while, but I felt, you know what, when you sit back and yeah, we've done this or that, we have, you know, 19 NHL draft picks, you know, 12 guys playing the NHL, you know, 150 division one players that have gone through our organization. Like you can't sit back in that because to be honest, I self-evaluate it myself, I needed a break. And that's why I didn't want to coach. I didn't feel I was giving what I needed as a coach. And I shouldn't say I've given, but I just, when you don't have that passion in, in, in you, you don't want to be at the rink every second. I needed a break with just life and stuff. Like I knew it was time for me to take a step and just leave my program from the developments or the executive side in terms of managing it and hire some other people to come in and help because I was ready for it. Now, can I go back coaching down the road? Yes, maybe but I don't know. I, I like what I'm doing right now. I like the skill stuff with the pros and I like being able to manage my program and have people work with me on it. Um, and so I think you just find different roles, right? And to me, any person, whether it's Utah or, or Phoenix or California, do your homework, um, talk to the coaches. Um, but to me, you can't just, you can't be a negative person, a negative Nelly, you know, just one of those parents, you know, at the rink practicing, starting bad chatter and creating, you know, negative feelings around the team because it can go down the hill so quickly with when you get a three or four parents that just disrupt everything. Right. Yeah. Just keep it behind closed doors. If you got a problem, take it outside of the rink, keep it in the car, keep it at your house. You know what I mean? But nobody needs to hear the negative stuff in public at the rink. It, it's just like a hockey player with bad body language. He's just going to infect the group. But um, I think what, what we finish up here is like you – 
you just you, you nailed it with your organization. I think what, what parents and athletes um, in a development stage need to look for is an organization that is willing to adapt and to learn and to grow and challenge themselves, not just their, their athletes. And I think if you're challenging yourself in an organization, you are able to challenge these athletes. But um, if you can't if you can't adapt on your own as an organization or a coach, how can you expect the same from your athletes? And I think what's really cool to hear about your organization, the Thunderbirds, is like you guys are hungry. You're digging in, you're looking for more options. You're looking to, um, you guys play a lot of games. So how do you combat, you know, the, how do you create a development developmental atmosphere while being in a lot of competition and, and not overdoing it? So I think it sounds like you guys are trying to find those ways, which is like, that's all you can really ask for. Now, if you're a parent that's in an organization that isn't doing those things, they've been maybe doing the same exact things for the last 10 years um, you have every reason to look for a new organization. Right. You're not a crazy parent. Um, but if you're leaving an organization cause you feel like your child, uh, should be on a different team, um, that maybe he shouldn't, and you're not trusting the coaches, then maybe that's a little bit more on you. But if your organization is not providing you with a good development for your kid and, and they're not growing themselves, then, then you have every reason to look elsewhere. And um, I think that's the main important takeaway from a youth parent that is like maybe having those concerns. Um, you know, Jack, Jack, you tell off something there real quickly. With all that said, you know what the biggest thing you create as a coach and is whoever your director might be is you might not have a successful team. You could be a 500 team or below 500 team. But if the coach creates when they're 9, 10, 11, 12, if they come to the ring and they're a high five and you have a good culture every day in the locker room, and on the rink, and they are showing some progress with their development, to me, that's a successful season, right? I mean, yes, we all want to win, but to me, that's more important than the wins every single day and just playing your – because you could easily, at that age, put your best two or three players out and win every game because they can skate by everyone. There's really no understanding of how to play a, a systematic type of game to slow that down, right? So I think it's just it, – it, to me, it's it, it, that's where it shows. Like if you have – if the culture the coach creates in the locker room with no bullying and stuff like that, because that happens a lot now with these kids in the locker rooms um, and just the social media part, they got to be careful. There's a lot of factors. So if that's, you're right. If, if those areas are taken care of, then there's no reason to leave. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, it was just awesome. I knew this was going to be great having you on. Um, I, I hope that the, the listeners have, have gotten a, a few takeaways from this. Uh, I know I have myself and that's kind of part of it for Martin and I, we talk about learning ourselves and bringing people on that maybe have a, a different opinion or um, have some knowledge that we don't um, constantly learning and constantly challenging ourselves as humans, uh, I think is important. And uh, I think it, it was uh, really, really fun having you on Angelo. We really appreciate your opinion, your advice and your, your, your knowledge about the game of hockey and coaching. Um, I think it's great. And like I said, I, I hope the parents, and our listeners, uh, whoever's listening, um, got some good takeaway from it. So thanks, Angelo, for being on. Um, and uh, everybody, we're, we're looking forward to next week, our next podcast. And um, we'll see you then. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah.